welcome to Q-Talk Radio. Today is Friday, November 10th, 2017, and the time is 5 p.m. Q-Talk Radio is a program of the San Gabriel LGBTQ Center and is brought to you in collaboration with QU Foundation. I'm your host, Anna Bernal, and today we are joined with co-host Xavier Mejia and our guest, Ronnie Veliz who will be talking about the physical, mental, and spiritual journey of going back as a first-generation Latinx trans student. For more information on this episode and past episodes, please visit qtalkradio.com. Now help me welcome my co-host, Xavier Mejia. Hello, Anna. I'm so excited to be back on air with you. Yeah, same here. I'm very excited to be back on air with you, Javier or Xavier. Sorry, I always I always go back and forth. <laughs> you know what? They, they're both my names, so let's work with that. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm, I'm I'm I'll work with both. Thank you so much, um, Xavier. Now, um, let 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 me introduce uh, Ronnie Veliz. Ronnie is a community leader uh, based out of San Fernando Valley who has a track record of community organizing. Uh, including being a peer mentor at Pierce College, a computer lab supervisor for LAUSD, a research lab assistant at Seedsun, a comprehensive risk counseling, uh, risk counseling service specialist at BNSAR, a community organizer for the Organizing Leadership Academy, and an LGBTQ health educator at Instituto Familiar de la Raza, a Southern California program manager for the GSA network, a legislative aide at a scheduler, scheduler for the California Assembly. And on September 6, 2014, Ronnie founded Somos Familia Valle, an LGBTQ plus community organization in the San Fernando Valley dedicated to supporting, empowering, training, and mobilizing LGBTQ plus youth, families, allies, for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice. Ronnie, <laughs> are, yeah, you, are you here I'm... online with us? Oh, my goodness, you're such a powerhouse. It's uh... <laughs> Right, you know, um, and then on, on, on Tuesday, October 10, 2017, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors and Commission on Human Relations honored Somos Familia Valle with the John Anson Ford Human Relations Award. And the John Anson Ford Human Relations Award is, uh, I believe it's an annual event to honor individuals, organizations, and companies that have significantly impacted human relations in Los Angeles County for the better. Now, please help us welcome Ronnie Veliz to the show. Hi, everyone. Wow, when you when you say it like that, and I just I haven't taken a look at my resume in a while, but I was like, wow, my quinceañera in the United States has been used for 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 good reason. Well, Ronnie, I know that today you want our listeners to learn more about your authentic self. So, why don't you share with them a little bit about what you want them to know? I think the community, um, the community, many communities that. Um, many of us belong to the Latinx community, the immigrant community, the you know low-income families and youth, people of color, transgender, gender non-conforming people. All these communities that many of us belong to, um, it's they they require a lot of cultural humility, a lot of help. Um, they are you know people 
deserve to have role models and they need to they deserve to be their own best advocates. So I think that that that's where my passion comes from. Like the reason why I decided to go for social work to go back to school for my master's in social work was because I'm just a neighbor that actually happens to have a a huge passion for for helping people, organizations, communities, and to influence policy. You know, these communities that many of us represent and are part of deserve authentic help and and, and empowerment. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's incredible, Ronnie. Um, so let, let's start talking about your decision to go back to get your master's in social work. Um, what inspired you to go back to school? Well, I was at the California State Legislature working for a year. It was quite an experience because growing up, all I knew was the um, all I knew was activism and advocacy from a grassroots perspective, from from the community, from the bottom up. And I never in my life I imagined that someone would actually give me the opportunity or appoint me to be part of the California State Legislature. Uh, team of workers. So when I went to Sacramento and when I started working in the district office in the Northeast Valley for an assembly member, I I got to see the other side of the coin, which was the, to learn more about, you know, how, the cycle of legislation, the, in, the internal things that happen, uh, the major players, like all this information that nobody in my family has ever had access to. And that and in meeting folks, I met a lot of people that were, in my opinion, some of the most progressive folks when it comes to legislation and helping our community. And when I would ask these people to, you know, what is your degree on or, you know, what's your background, I would find out that a lot of, a lot of my, the favorite, my, like a lot of the people who I really admire in Sacramento, the capital, are actually not don't have a law degree or are not political science majors, they, they happen to be social workers. And that's where my inspiration to go back to school uh, to get my master's came from. And that in, in, in combination with the, the institutional racism, uh, these um, nasty attitudes that, that many of my peers and I have gotten um, when we founded Somos Familia Valle, a lot of the nonprofit leaders happen to be white and happened to be male, and happened to have um, a background of wealth and knowledge and degrees and all these things that many of us don't have. And, you know, they would treat us as if, as if we were inferior, as if, as if we were, you know, like, what are you doing as an executive director? What, what, are, who, what do you know about creating a nonprofit? Or what do you know about creating an organization? And it's those type of attitudes that drove me to, um, to get more. Not because uh, not not because I believe that paper is defined us, but because I want to bring more resources to our communities, and I believe that somehow more doors open when we have more education, but also for my own personal gain. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that you uh, you know we, we we talked about how active you've been, um, and so part of the discussion that that we had had earlier on um, when we we discussed having you on to Q talk radio was really the price of going back to school and share with our listeners what that really means. Because um, I know usually when we speak about the price of going back to school, the first thing that someone's prob- probably going to think about is really the, 
the, the financial cost. But in this situation, um, it goes deeper than that. So can you share with our listeners more about that? Oh, yeah. Like I, it, I'm already um, – um, we have only a few more weeks before the first semester of our first year is over. And, you know, when I looked at the tuition number, $16,600 for 60 units, I was like, ouch. Like that, that hurts. Um, but it, beyond those numbers, you know, and and that doesn't count the books. That doesn't count the two hundred dollars for parking. And and Costa Northridge has needs to really improve on parking. Um, in addition to many many more numeric things, um, it can be traumatic to face um, experiences and have the vu moments and also run into. The issues that you thought, oh, you know, I'm pretty sure they're gone by now, and then you realize they're not, and 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 that's that's the price of going to going back to grad school. That um, it's you. Some people may think there are safe spaces, but really there are no safe spaces at all. This idea of safe spaces is a, is an illusion. Um, the world is cruel, and systems can be cruel too, and 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 in that way. You know, it's just I believe in brave spaces. That's what I believe in. And I thought that we had I, many of our people that graduated with me in 2011, 2012, who were also very active. Um, we thought that we left the school in a better place that we found it and that the next generation would take on it and continue working on it. But the, um, the, the progress is there. However, it, 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 it doesn't take the trauma away. It, is, it can be very traumatic to go back to grad school. So part of what you're ta- talking about is um, you, your undergrad was, you, for your undergrad, you went to, to CSUN as well. And during your time there, you were equally as active in uh, moving forward discussions and efforts to provide safe space for LGBTQ people. Um, and when you return now, uh, years later for your master's program, that 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 looks very different, um, and you have been pr- quite vocal about that. Can you share with our audience what that looks like? What happened? Um, what what is it that that you were confronted by when you went back to CSUN? Yeah, that's a very important question. Like when we to to more to go more in depth. For instance, one of the things that I thought. Um, was not going to be there, that he's still there, was the, 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 the prejudice uh, that exists for, uh, with, the, with the procedures when it comes to honoring and acknowledging trans identity. Uh, one of the first things that I was really looking forward to was having my ID, honoring my, my, my preferred name, and, um, and I thought, you know what, I got this, you know, Calcine or Switch and the CSU system got this, you know, I, I know of many trans activists who have done their, their work, um, so I couldn't get my name with my preferred name um, because they told me that that was not possible. But what was, that the only thing that was possible was for me to, you know, fill out the form and have my, my legal, my, my birth name, um, uh, replace for my preferred name on my email, on my school email, and also for the role, for the roll call, um, for the roll sheet of students, for professors. But other than that, I couldn't have my ID honoring my, 
my preferred name, the name that I go by. So um, in addition to that, the fact that I will go to the, I decided to check out the trans uh, support group um, at the Price Center. And when I went there, to my surprise, everybody was, every, all the students were white. And I was like, what? Am I really the only trans student in this support group searching for support? Like, what's up with the outreach? What's going on with the outreach? What's going on with the with the spirit? What's going on with reaching out the most vulnerable, you know, low-income and students of color? And, you know, that doesn't take away that the amazing people who actually run this support group are students of color. That's, and to me, that's amazing, and I, I love them for that. However, the people, the, the clients, the people seeking the support um, are not students of color. And you, I wonder why. I had to wonder why. What happened here? And then when I look at the five years of the, the Price Center, which is as many students in, in 2011, 2012 fought for, um, that advocated for, many of the students pushing for the, for the development of the center were students of color who happen to also be immigrants um, and LGBTQ. They, you know, like I, I, I thought, you know what? Five years have passed. We, we won the center. We had a center. Let me check out the immigrant, the LGBTQ immigrant um, student services and support systems. There were no, no programs were developed and still are not developed for LGBTQ immigrant students at CSUN. And I had to wonder why. What's going on here? What is the missing puzzle? What, what is the type of communication that is lacking here? What is the type of representation? Because I see Latinx students around, or at least students that claim to be Latinx, even though they haven't lived in Latin America, they were born here. And that's, you know, like, I'm like, okay, they're there representing, but what is it that's missing? Because all the people at the bottom at the Price Center are students of color, the majority of them, and then the people at the top are, you know, the two coordinators, main coordinators are white. I'm like, what's happening here? That five years have passed since I graduated, and we still don't have this. You so know, I know that, that, that you were yeah. – I know that you also mentioned that CSUN has the only Central American department in all of the nation. Um, and so it's also in danger. Is that is, – am I stating that correctly? That's that that's uh, CSUN definitely has done an amazing job, and the professors and the active the people are active on the ground. You know, gifted the community with yeah, CSUN being the first school to have the first Central American uh, department. Right now, what's going on is that, and this has been happening for way before I was born. Um, the 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 attempts, the systematic attempt attempts to erase any sort of requirement that includes gender studies, ethnic studies, you know, the, the, the classes that allow for students to have access to Africana studies, um, Asian, Amer- Asian American studies, there's an, there's an area of uh, a graduation requirement, a section called Section F. Some people still refer to it as Area F. Uh, so Area se- Section F is a graduation requirement at CSUN, and uh, the chancellor of the CSU system uh, had conversations, there were conversations happening without our wonderful and powerful teachers, right, our professors that um, teach all these classes, Africana studies, gender studies, um, ethnic studies, Chicana studies. Uh, and 
there was an executive order that was put in place, Executive Order 1100, that would make the CSU system have a uniform um, list of graduation requirement sections for graduation requirements from A to E. So that would remove the Section F, the section that would allow for students on their first year to have access to know where their roots come from. Because many, many people do not get that in high school, right? So, yeah, Section F ha was, you know, here we go. And almost be right before midterm, students having to stress out and, and, and on top of personal issues and everything that happens in life, on top of that, having to defend our history and the professors in collaboration with the students having to fight for that when people were in positions of power having these conversations without them. And that's what's happening at CSUN. That's this uncertainty, like what is going to happen with Section M. I did, I did hear, Ronnie, there, that's a lot to impact from masters to um, everything that is going on in this um, uh, CSUN or Cal State system. Uh, fortunately, it, it, the, within the last two weeks or so, the students and, and professors won uh, at CSUN because they were active and they uh, fought for their their um, departments and everything that happened. And um, I didn't hear any other fights from other CSU campuses other than CSUN, and CSUN ended up winning their their fight. So, you know, congratulations to the student body there and the professors that, that – it together. Um, oh, hello. Sorry. Yeah, there's still, there's still a lot of more work to to be done. I'm, I'm very I'm very inspired by all the professors and, and student activists that were part of of that push. And you know, right now there's still a lot of vague things happening when it comes to how is Section F going to be kept. Um, but it's very inspiring to know that people are not giving up, and we are going to make sure that that you know that we keep an eye for uh, on how the the, maintain, the maintenance of Section F as a grad, as a requirement uh, continues. Um, a legacy of racial, gender, and um, you know empowerment and justice in our on our campus. And what happens? Yeah. Uh, what happens as a student when you re-enter? the collegiate system and are faced again with, you know, perhaps situations that, that, that one feels, um, you know, we have overcome, you know, is there, I know that you talked about, you know, once again, the idea of the price of going back to school, what does that mean from a, 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 you know, physical place? What does that mean from a spiritual place? Spiritually speaking, oh my goodness, going back to school to get my master's as, I, as I'm doing it right now, is um, it's very draining in the sense that um, not only you have to put in a lot of hours reading, and also in addition to your classes, you, you, um, you have to complete 16 hours a week in an internship out in the field, um, you know, practicing social work as an intern. And, 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 you know, spiritually, it has affected me in the way that I am, I am disconnected from the people that I used to see every day. And a lot of people don't understand that, that you are trying to evolve. You don't want to stay, like, the, the, you don't want to be the same Ronnie than, 
than 2012. So you don't want to be the same Ronnie than 2007. You're trying to be someone better for your community. And a lot, a lot of people start unfriending you. Why? Because, oh, like, you know, you used to hang out with us or this and that. You know, how come you were in undergrad? Yeah, but undergrad is not the same thing that a ma- going, for your, for going for your master's degree. It requires three times more reading and more presence and more focus than the undergrad. And I saw that the, uh, the, during the orientation, honestly, I saw that the professors were kind of joking, trying to intimidate us. They were not. They were being for real. So spiritually, you know, I miss my church to reconnect with my church. I, am, I, I have so much to do. The amount of work that one has to put in can affect your weekends, not just your weekdays. And it can also affect your relationships. Um, I, I had to also decide, you know, like how much, how much am I going to be involved with my activism and my advocacy off campus because that's something that is like a daily vitamin to me. Um, being there for my communities is more than just um, a habit. It's, 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 it's what gives my life meaning and purpose. Um, so having to negotiate the time management of, of it all, it's, it's very excruciating. And, um, and sometimes don't have the support of your barrio friends um, and, 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 and people might perceive you as, oh, like, you're too busy for us now. You know, there's a, there's a sort of, like, this connection that hits your spirit, and you feel, you know, you feel, you feel it gets you depressed. It gets you sad. But, you know, somehow the show must go on, and, and you have to rem- rem- remember why you're doing this in the first place, and it's to help, to help your community, to help your barrios. And, and, and it's another one of the sacrifices that are going to be part of our books. You know, I actually have my breakup during this, during um, as I was starting grad school, and you know it was a hard decision. Like, it, what's more important for me, my my degree, my future, my hopes for the future, in order to help my community or my relationship. And it was very hard, but I had to do what I have to do. And, and if someone loves you, not just your friends, but your 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 partner, girlfriend, boy, boyfriend, your partner. Like, they, they must understand that this is this is not easy, and it's something that that is going to require um, a lot of patience, but also most importantly, a lot of understanding and support. I know that you talked about you know going back to school and 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 doing so in many ways. Um, you're having to revisit old wounds, and part of that includes you know confronting. Um, a lot of the a lot of the issues that you just talked about, um, but part of what we haven't touched on is the the idea of being bullied, the idea of um, having to revisit being sexually assaulted and being uh, you know sort of face to face with uh, people who have um, you know uh, given this type of attention or send this type of attention your way. Can you share with us more about, about that, what it's been like for you to have to confront, you know, uh, these wounds that you, you thought you had, you know, surpassed by now? Yeah. You know, I, I am a, I am a person who has uh, been bullied since I was seven years old. It's, it's something that can leave you scarred for the rest of your life. 
And bullying is all about an imbalance of power. It's it's about imbalance of power. And for me, I was uh, going back to grad school thinking, um, you know, people know the type of person I am. People people uh, are there for me. This is my school. I love season unconditionally, no matter what. However, you know, just like in any family or chosen family environment, there's, as a trans Latinx person of color, um, you know, I, I suffered trauma in my, on my campus. And I suffered trauma in, in, in many ways. But one that, one that I'm still working on, which I'm getting therapy for, and, um, and I'm actually going to start medication um, for my recently diagnosed PTSD is sexual assault. I grew up in a family and in an environment where you just don't talk about sexual violence because it's just, it's just not normal. It's not normal to talk about it. And, and in my open, a lot of, a lot of, uh, Pandora boxes, because most of the time the people that engage in sexual violence are people that are way too close to us. And I can't go really so much into specifics, but what I can say, especially if anybody out there is listening to this and has been kept quiet, is um, it happened to me and on my way to building my social network as I was transferring to CSUN from Pierce College. I wanted to be more involved with the CSUN student body as I knew I was, I had my confidence, I had confidence in me, I'm going to get accepted and for, the, for, for the beginning of 2011. So around 10, I was already hanging out with a lot of the gay and the uh, trans and queer folks at CSUN. And I went to my first queer, queer dorm party. And, you know, um, at the dorms, that was my first. And, you know, I was a victim of sexual assault. And people have all these different, different definitions that people like the lotero and the mom and the, and the abuelita and sometimes our godfathers don't know the, really the, the thing lines, the differences between battery and assault and harassment and rape. Like the, the, all these, like, it's very complicated. So we, go, we survive things that we don't even know how to explain. Um, I've been getting myself educated more on sexual violence lately because um, as happy as I was returning to school, the person who sexually assaulted me, world just crumbled. My brain felt like exploded, and I was so angry, so angry. I thought I had buried it because I couldn't report it. I couldn't report what happened to me because I was, a, I was getting ready to apply for my citizenship. And by the time that I was seeing the hope to talk about it, to seek help specifically about that, um, I was faced with the decision, do I really want to come out publicly against a U.S. citizen during my application uh, for citizenship? Could that have an impact on my application? Could my attempt to become a citizen be rejected because I am fighting a predator? Um, 
and it had bottled up in me. And I, I decided to stay quiet because I, I, I was too afraid that I'm an immigrant or that I'm not from here. And so I stay quiet because of that, for loss of fearing, uh, the, the, the fear to lose my, to not become a citizen. And in my memory, um, you know, that what happens to a person, the trauma that I have gone through, I, I have been suffering from insomnia since this person showed up on campus. And I have been having an average of three panic attacks every day. And my anxiety just was already there, but went off the roof. And, and, and after I um, spoke about, about it on campus uh, once only, I had students come up to me after, and they told me, me too. Me too. You know, I, I want to share with our, our audience members who may not know um, you uh, publicly, and what I do want to share with our audience is that part of our discussion um, when I invited you to come onto the show. Uh, had to do with how you are choosing to heal, how you have chosen to use poetry um, and imagery, uh, art to give voice to the adversity that you had faced. Um, and so I respect your, your, your need for discretion. I also respect and, and, and value that you are taking a stand and sharing as much as the, as much as you can because I can't imagine that being easy and um, as you already said that there's a weight to the topic and and you made decisions based on that weight and um, really being afraid of, of ramifications for speaking up um, and so I, I applaud you for you know, taking the time to share this part of your journey with us. And, and this is what I was saying earlier that, you know, the price of going back to school isn't just about a monetary, monetary um, uh, value in this situation, that, that it really goes deeper and that the fact that you're sharing how deep that is, um, you know, I, I, I applaud you, but also I, I know that many people can relate to this story. And, um, you know, you have talked about being bullied. You've talked about being sexually assaulted. You've talked about, you know, being a first-generation Latinx trans student uh, going back to school. You've talked about being homeless publicly. You've also talked about what it's like uh, as an Inca um, identity to be here in this country and to have to face, uh, you know, topics of citizenship. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I, I'm, I admire so much the courage that you build to let others in so that um, other people can see a part of themselves in your story and, and find strength within yours um, and, you know, my hat's off to you. I know it's not, this isn't anything that anybody wants to go through to receive praise. Uh, so um, I'm trying to be as sensitive with my words as possible without being insulting, but I have to say that 
um, as you spoke, you know, I really just wanted to cry and, um, you know, I, I, I question, is it appropriate for us to be having this discussion on air? And I, 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 the only thing that can work with is that, um, the whole purpose of having Q talk radio on air period is in hopes that, uh, you know, others can find these stories and find the strength that, that many of us have found in our journeys and have led us to uh, be proactive and to find each other in, in community, you know, and, um, and when I look at you and I look at Anna and other community members, I really think of us, I think of you all really as warriors. And, and um, once again, thank you so much for sharing uh, how deep this, this sacrifice really is. And because you're going back to school to want to continue, continue, continue to, to better yourself, but to also be a vehicle support for others. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. It, I know it's 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 not something that it's common, especially um, let alone in Spanish, right? Um, on my Friday, October sixth, I was as I was continuing to get a lot of likes for you know the labor that I, we put together in the valley as we're getting the award, as we're doing all these amazing things, my professional life, my community mission is going up, 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 up. But on what nobody knows is that on Friday, October 6th, I thought of killing myself the week after I saw this person on campus. And what I want to put out there as a, as a positive message is I ran the university counseling services. I ran despite my past with conversion therapy, horrible therapies that I have faced, despite the horrible psychologists and counselors that I once have met, I ran. And I, I, I didn't run for help because for, for me, per se, but for the sacrifices that my immigrant mom, that my immigrant dad, that the people that have invested in me, the people that, that, that believe that we together can make a difference, I ran and I asked for help. And when I met when I was in my session with the crisis counselors, you know, I was, I, I had to make a decision, like, do I really want to end it because of this, this, this person who God knows if he, if he has gone through the same trauma than me. And, and now you know, that on that day in 2010, you projected it on me. Like I had to make a decision. Do I really want out? All this stuff that I have done, is it really just going to puff like that? Or do I continue investing in art and the things that have helped me heal throughout the years? I'm a strong believer in, it, believer in art. So what I made a decision was this person might want me to be quiet about it. I received a cis and desist letter, um, PG in art. And... I'm glad that I went and sought help, but I'm also glad that I decided to heal through art. And that may not work for everybody, but at least I decided to do something to transform again, once again, an experience because I have reasons to live. I, I just needed someone to remind me that, even if it was in private. And for me, it was like, I want to write a book about poems. 
I want to put down on poems my feelings, what I'm going through. There, there may be people out there that may need this too, and I just want to be of service. So I'm really happy. I'm happy in the sense that to have that free, free therapist available on campus, and and that I think that I'm a strong believer that everything including the horrible things in life happen for a reason. So I'm I'm ready to turn this thing around and and I hope that the community continues breaking barriers and borders and binaries and anything that may feel like is is telling us to end our lives, but there's so much more pain out there if we try to reach out to each other. And if we affirm each other's worth, and if we find power in in whatever area that gives us strength, and for me, my strength my strength has always been since I was seven years old, which is the same age that I started being bullied. My strength has always been arts and humanities. So that's why I'm working on my on my book of poems. Wow, Ronnie, this is um, I think um. What you have done and what you have shared is definitely very powerful, and there's no delicate way of of uh, talking about it, uh, but you are talking, and as Javier had, had mentioned, um, the stories are very powerful. And as you produce your your po- your your book of poems, in in a way, it's your way of healing through all the traumatic experiences you've had. Um, but this part of this conversation is not just going to help um, us understand your work and who, where you're coming from, but also other people out there that have experienced something similar. Uh, we, even within the queer community, um, those power dynamics exist. And um, uh, what would you what would you tell somebody that is still, you know, even though they may have not spoken up or they have spoken up? Of, of something like this, like what would you recommend um, maybe somebody do to reach out and get the help they need? I would say that there is, there is, a, a, there is, there are people out there that are willing to listen to you. People cannot read your, your mind. I cannot expect my besties, my mom, my dad, my pastor, my beautiful trans and queer family in the community. I can't expect to read my mind and know what's going through my head and through my heart and through my spirit. So talking about it by identifying at least a couple of people that can turn into four, that can turn into six, but talking about it because having it bottled up inside of you can be so detrimental. And that's what I did for that's what I did for five years, or actually for seven years. And and I saw that I had buried it. So for me, my advice is don't, have, don't let anybody tell you that you're not worth talking about it. Talk about it, even if it's with two people. And then, and then you might get surprised that the people that you, lead, that you most expect to be able to talk about it might not be there for you. But the people that you least expect to be there for you might actually be the best listeners for this type of stuff. And I quickly want to send a shout out to the people who have been there for me. 
And I have a theme going on always in my life, which is just always mujeres and femmes who are always there um, to give me to, to to really show me that 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 the world can um, turn these negative experiences around. So you know, like people like Andrea from Winnetka, people like Mary from North Hills, um, my 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 psychologist, um, people like. My, my pastor from the St. Mark's Episcopal Church, like the people that I least expected to be able to listen to me did it. And it's, it's with their strength and mind combined that I am able to move on. So I know that in, in some, sometimes just because something is cultural, which is like, oh, we don't talk about mental health or you don't go to the psychologist or you don't go to the psychiatrist or you don't contemplate medication or you don't do this. Sometimes something can be cultural, but that doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Culture can be redefined by us. And I choose not, I don't choose the stigma. I choose my liberation. I choose my healing. I choose the people who are willing to be in my life to make me a better person and to transform such a horrible experience into an experience to empower others so we can be the better community. And I absolutely agree with you with with, um, the stigma and the trauma within the Latinx community. There is no help is there for us all, and we just need to be open to it, to receive it, and to, you know, follow your leadership, you know, that's, that is what you're doing, Ronnie, is that you, you're leading by example, and we don't see a lot of that in our communities, especially the queer communities. So, there, um, I know that there is also, um, a helpline that you may have uh, recommend about bullying and advocacy? Yes, yes, definitely. So what happened was that, um, you know, I was blessed with an opportunity to work this summer at the San Fernando Valley Community Mental Health Center, which is um, an agency that has more than 20 locations and, 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 and has helped so many people in the L.A. County. And I was blessed with the opportunity to work with them because the governor of California, um, Jerry Brown, uh, finds bullying to be a very important issue to address and to, 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 to deal with. So about five organizations were um, received funding for um, developing a, a regional call centers where people can call people, people in K through 12 grades and parents and any, any concerned community member can call to inform themselves more about bullying, resources, um, to talk about it. So um, my fellow mental health counselor, Mary Bojorquez from Colombia, and myself um, were given the opportunity by Jennifer Calderon, the program manager there, to work on this, uh, on on developing this uh, helpline. So um, in doing the research, um, we found out that sometimes um, or or too often, some calls go to suicide prevention uh, helplines, and when when the experiences are assessed, um, you can tell bullying was present there as one of the roots of it all. So we have now a helpline, and I really want to share it with folks because it's very important. This is a helpline that now is serving LA County, San Bernardino County, Ventura County, Orange County, and um, it's available. It's available for anybody who wants more information about bullying, resources, uh, statistics, or just someone to talk to. 
um, or if you think that the school is not doing enough to address it, call this number. I'm going to give it out. And there's uh, Mary and I will both speak English and Spanish. Um, we are getting more people to be on the helpline too. So this is uh, this is an exciting moment, a very exciting moment. Um, the number is one. The number is eight four four two five six zero seven three five. Again, the number is eight four four two five six zero seven three five. It is the bullying advocacy program. People can call for information in English or in Spanish. Um, and just, just, you know, they can get the, the help, the support, the advocacy, the resources that they need. What's, what is the name of the, of the hotline again? It's called the Bullying Advocacy Program Helpline. The Bullying Advocacy Program Helpline. And it's by the San Fernando Valley Community Mental Health Center. And the number is 844-256-0735. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to add it to the episode description as well so that folks can find it uh, easily. Um, that also reminds me that if people are looking at the episode description, um, just, you know, briefly off topic, but really to connect the, the, the dialogue, um, the letters that are highlighted in the episode description are really linked to the larger parts of, of who we represent. So, if you click on Ronnie, it'll take you to Ronnie's Facebook page. If you click Somos Familia Valle, it'll take you to their um, webpage. The same with Ana Bernal, the same thing with the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Center and QU's Foundation. So, um, you know, we have those on there to help people find, you know, the, the, the work that we're all doing. And, um, you know, so I know that you have a Facebook page, you, you have your own website. How do you get your, your, your participants uh, to find you and how do they get involved? Because you have, you have a lot of participation. Yeah, like I, I was just going around classrooms the other day and it's always beautiful to me when I, when I request educators to give me at least um, 10 minutes to, to quickly um, engage students into our resource, knowing about them. Um, many students sometimes tell me, oh, like, I have you on Facebook, or I follow you on, Facebook, on Instagram, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's just always beautiful to know that, you know, social media can be such a wonderful, positive tool to keep us together. So uh, people can follow me on Facebook. Um, it's facebook.com slash the Ronnie Release, T-H-E-R-O-N-N-I-E, V as in victory, E-L-I-Z as in zebra, the Ronnie Valise, and they can also find me on Instagram as Ronnie Valise. I am an, an open book. I try to respond to people within, um, you know, within my means. Right now I'm in grad school, but I still try to respond to people within 48 hours. And, you know, it's just for me, um, it, it's important for people to know that, that, you know, I mean, I have the answers to everything, but I definitely have lived experiences. If I, and and I'm, I love connecting people to resources and to help because that is part of my healing also as an immigrant, as a, as a, as a child of a black Latino and an indigenous woman from the Andes. Um, I, I don't want people to go through the things I went through in Peru. I just, I don't want that. I don't want that. So every time that I get to help someone, you know, my inner child smiles. And that to me means the world. 
I know we're getting ready to wrap up the show, but you know, I, I, I don't want to leave uh, your your message, which is uh, solution equals hope, and hope equals action. Um, and so, this is you know something that you really work with and take with you as you develop different events. I know that the, the uh, up and coming event that everyone's talking about is the San Fernando Pride. Um, on Saturday, November 18th, on my birthday, just saying, just letting you know. I know it's a big party for me, but <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, it is on my birthday, but, you know. Um, yeah, t- tell us more about the San Fernando Valley Pride. So the first San Fernando Valley Pride is happening, yes, on your birthday and on Saturday, November 18th. And um, this is this is the, the event that actually – uh, gave birth to Somos Familia Valle. Uh, as people learn more about the history of the uh, gay liberation movement, as people learn more about Stonewall and what happened before Stonewall, I think it's really wonderful it's, and, and important to always remember that whether it's on Netflix or not, the lives of people like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and the folks in, that fought for our rights before Stonewall in East LA and the San Fernando Valley and everywhere else, you know, it's very important to, to never forget where we come from, to never forget our roots. So the San Fernando Valley Pride was the first event that Somos Familia Valle put together because we wanted, we wanted, an, uh, um, we wanted something, something different than LA Pride. That in addition to LA Pride, we had something in the Valley where, where we can, where we can come together as a social justice march that honors the messaging that we had way back in 1969, um, in, in, in you know with 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 the people that started Pride, and we wanted that we want this march that transforms into a free conference. You know, the, the idea of having fees has never been something attractive to. Kevin Perez, the other co-founder of Somos Familia Valle, and to our community, because many of us wouldn't be able to get, you know, propina or some coins from our parents um, if we were ever to tell them, oh, I'm going to a gay or trans event, let alone if we, if we are out, right? Um, and also the idea that how are we supposed to have pride with, um, with, this, with, with the elements and the conditions that actually enables a lot of LGBTQ people to end up with substance abuse issues. How are we supposed to, you know, show that to our kids and our families? So we wanted something different. We wanted, we wanted a pride, a San Fernando Valley pride rooted in social justice um, engagement through a march and in a free conference because we want people educated. We, just, we want them to have fun. But we didn't want people to expect gay Coachella or a festival or a concert. I mean, we can, we all, we're, we're everywhere. We can go to, we, we can do that anytime and we can turn, we can create any space we want into a concert or, or a festival. But we really wanted to provide young people and their families the opportunity to, to see us as worthy of the Fair Education Act. Learning our historical contributions, learning the modern ones, and creating new ones. So the San Fernando Valley Pride, that's what it is. It is to our roots as a movement, to, and it is very, very much into uh, civil rights and education. So it's a free event. Um, we are going to start, this is the fourth one. The fourth one was in Panorama City. 
we did it at a HIV clinic. We were expecting 20 people, and we had 100 people. And we were so shook with the results. The second one, and the, our budget was $32. It all came from Kevin's pocket and mine for the Costco pizza, just saying. Um, the second one, you know, we fundraised more with our drug shows and, you know, our, our friends, our families, you know, people that we consider relatives. Um, and we did it at, in Pacoima, the second one. And we expected to retain the 100 people, and we actually had 150. And last year in Van Nuys, we had um, nearly 400. So this is growing really rapidly. It goes to show to anybody who doubted that the LGBTQ community and that our straight allies do not care about education, this, this is a strong message. This is, this is, this is proof. But yes, we do care about education. We do care about community-based education. Some people may not, have to, may not want to go to college, but you know what? You can get your education with us about your roots, sweetheart. And maybe some people may be in college, and they don't even know what they will learn in our conference. Well, you have a place with us here, too. So that's what we do every November. We chose November instead of June because we wanted – this is already too much going on in June. So we wanted something near Transgender Day of Remembrance. So that's why we have it in November every year. And the other unique thing about our San Fernando Valley Pride is that we, we rotate neighborhoods. So it's not ecstatic in just one. So there's no favoritism for just one neighborhood, and we're going to have it there until the end of the time. No, we rotate it. We go because the valley, the San Fernando Valley is huge. So that's a very unique trait of our San Fernando Valley, too, that we go around neighborhoods um, every, every year. And the, the most special characteristic for me of our San Fernando Valley Pride is that we now have something to remember in history that was started by a Guatemalan um, and a Peruvian uh, person, which is yours truly, that this is a pride. The San Fernando Valley Pride was founded in 2014 by, by Latinx people, by our gente. And it was, it, it's been free. It's going to continue being free. And it's going to, um, and it's very much based on the experiences, the magic and the wisdom of first generation uh, immigrant LGBTQ students. And, and that's what sets us, sets us, gives us a, a very unique um, flavor to anybody who might want to check it out. So we encourage everyone to join us. We're going to start with a march on Saturday, November 18th at 1130. Meet us at San Fernando City Hall. We're going to start in San Fernando. And from there, I mean, the mayor will share a few words. And then we will start marching to the conference site, which is the Vaughn International Studies Academy, Visa High School, um, where we actually supported the students who, um, who in installed the first um, all-gender bathroom in the Fernando Valley. Uh, so that's where it's gonna, the conference is going to happen. We have poor bachata going on, suicide prevention, spoken word, drag show, and most importantly, two rounds of amazing workshops and two incredible uh, keynote speakers who are going to talk about what it's like to be gender nonconforming as students of color and what it's like to be gay and undocumented. Wow. You, I, I, I love hearing you speak about Somos Familia. Why you, um, you can hear your passion and really uh, you light up. Um, I, can, I can see you just radiating. And, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us, your time. And, you know, I also want to take this opportunity to thank Ana Bernal, 
for once again, you know, uh, co-hosting today's episode. For more information on this episode and past episodes, please visit QTalkRadio.com. QTalk Radio is a program of the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Center and is brought to you in collaboration with Q Youth Foundation. Once again, thank you, Ronnie. Thank you, Anna. Um, I'm going to leave you all uh, with a song called My Dress, My Choice by Grimo Suspect from Kenya. And um, I hope you have a great weekend and I'll talk to you very soon. This one goes to that woman that risks discrimination and sexual harassment because of that dress. It also goes to that gender that face humiliation because they choose to cross dress. I thought to myself, if I would get that address, the heart would be my target, but I wouldn't go there express. See, I would take my time because I got feelings to express. With a sharp knife or a hot blade, all that body I wish to caress. Having them cry and beg for mercy would be priceless. Begging in cries for mercy would be useless. Stopping off their man's pride would pain their heart just to prove they ain't heartless. To teach others that being a man is not using your heart less. To prove to you that this gender ain't powerless, that we only tend to use our power less. Yes, before this I was just harmless. And now that I feel worthless, I'm everything less from careless to merciless. You might lose your sight, but still, that pepper spray button I will long press. See, I'm now limitless. I wish to leave you lifeless. For you created this monstrous that would hesitate to pull the trigger, for I would rather be a murderess. My dress, my choice. The one to undress me is also my choice. Please stop, don't you feel my noise? In my agony, why do you, I mean, how do you rejoice? You can't handle that when she wears a mini dress. You got it twisted when you say she's a seductress. You got a ring around the finger, you was on an adulteress. You got issues that only God can address. And now that I choose to cross-dress, Oh yes, a girl, but I choose to roll like a breast. You take it up to the Congress, hating and fighting so hard, trying to suppress, trying to expand, and you just want to compress. But I'm a fighter. I'm not the one you will oppress. And even though evil is here to depress, I'm only here with a mission to progress. I'm so much used to distress, to an extent that I find it hard to stress. I'm a hard knock. I sleep soundly without a mattress. I knock hard. I am the red dress. My dress, my choice. The one to undress me, it's also my choice. Please stop, don't you feel my noise? In my agony, why do you, I mean, how do you rejoice? In this life, I'm no one's slave but the empress. It is my life, I only got me to impress. Cause I'm the queen, not the mistress, but that doesn't mean that I mistress. So I walk tall and kick it like a tight dress. I kick it front, I do not regret. Poetry Hills, call me a dog dress. My words will tell me, call me a temptress. Barely restless, but I restless. I be the cateress and double up as a waitress. Also the actress, but not among those who act less. Always on the press, just like that song dress. Believe me, I'm the adventurous. And wherever I venture, I'm not the only benefactress. My dress, my choice. The one to undress me is also my choice. Please stop, don't you feel my noise? In my agony, why do you, I mean, how do you rejoice? My dress, my choice. The one to undress me is also my choice. Please stop, don't you feel my noise? In my agony, why do you, I mean, how do you rejoice?